Well, I want to say a word of welcome again to those who are here in the well, uh, those who are outside the well in our overflow space, those who are upstairs in the loft in the well cafe. Uh, I believe every seat in both houses, all houses, is full this morning for, for Mother's Day weekend. So excited to have all you here today in worship. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. And again, if you're a first-time guest in any of these venues, we're, we're so glad that you're here. Hope that we can... Uh, Hope that you felt welcome, and if there's anything we can do to serve you, we'd love to do that. This is the third week uh, in a series we've been doing called Campfire, uh, and I want to reset uh, what we've been talking about. We, uh, the, the key theme of the entire series is this, that God wired us, has wired us for community and for relationships, so that embedded within our DNA is this desire for connectedness. Now, some of you are extroverts, and that desire is to be connected with a whole host of people. I mean, you like being connected with a, a large group of people. Some of you are more introverted, and you, you, you prefer a few relationships. But the idea is that we all crave that, and we all recognize that uh, to some degree our lives suffer when we lack that. That isolation, uh, disconnection from others actually inhibits our growth and our development as people and as followers of Jesus. Uh, This weekend in particular is a great illustration of that because we think about those whose lives have blessed our own, those whose love and care and nurture have helped us become the people that we are today. And we recognize that without that we wouldn't be who we are today. So so there is this need within us for connectedness, for community, for relationship. And we believe that because we find that in the scriptures, but also because we just know that inside of ourselves. We sense that. And so we, when we think about imagining what it was like to be 10 years old again and to be, be, be out with our friends or there with our family, we, there is something within us that does connect with that, that resonates with that, because that's how God made us to be. He wired us for community. Now, if you were here the first week, uh, Johnny talked a little bit about, he opened up this series for us, um, and he talked about some of the barriers that we experience to, to developing community. Last week, we talked about the myth that keeps us from investing in relationships, and that myth being that we will find a good community when we find good and right people. But the, the principle that we looked at in Ephesians 4 is that we find the right community when we become the right kind of people. That our task as followers of Jesus is to become hubs, people who within a network of relationships can model love and grace in such a way that real community can be formed. So in other words, if you look at any community, regardless of what it is, whether it's a church or a Sunday school class or a small group or a PTA organization or a couple of families getting together in the neighborhood, whatever that community looks like, whatever form it takes, if it's healthy, and if it's life-giving, it is because within those network of relationships, there is someone who is living out the ideals of Jesus. There is someone who is living out grace and compassion and forgiveness, someone who pulls the community back together when there needs to be reconciliation and restoration. There is a hub. There is someone or perhaps many people who within that community are living out their own life of faith. They are safe people and they're helping everyone else build safe relationships. But going back to what Johnny said in the first week, a couple of the barriers that we experience uh, in, in developing this relationship. The first one that he talked about was the idea of busyness. 
And for many of us, the reason that we don't have this in our life, the reason that it's lacking in our life is we're just, we're just too busy. If I were to, to poll everyone here and upstairs, uh, this is, again, what Johnny shared in the first week, of just, just to say, well, how was your week? The word that would come up more than any what is the word busy, right? That's what you'd say. You'd say, I, I was pretty busy. Were, were you busy this week? Do you have a few things that you had to get done? Was, was there a few things on the list? Were there some, some obligations that you had, some responsibilities that you had? Yeah, we're, we live fairly busy, frantic lives. And, and if we were to go and poll everyone and ask them how their week was, here's the other note. Many of us would use that language. We would talk about our busyness with a certain level of pride. We'd be proud of that. Uh, because we live with this false notion that busy people are important people. And so we would say something like, yeah, I was pretty busy. I mean, people need me. I mean, I'm an important person. There's, there were a lot of things that people needed me to do to make sure the world kept spinning. You know, I mean, that, there is this, this false notion that busy people are important people. And yet we know, you know, I know, we know that that keeps us from investing in healthy, life-giving relationship. We know that. And yet we continue to live at this frantic pace. Here's what Pastor John Ortberg says. He says, love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is the one thing that hurried people don't have. And that's not rocket science. We all know that, right? We all know that love takes time, and time is the thing that hurried people don't have. So there's this this frantic pace that we live at, that our culture encourages and there's this pride that we sometimes take in that. Yeah, I'm a busy person. I'm an, I'm an important person. And yet it keeps us from developing those, those, those life-changing relationships. The other thing that Johnny talked about in the first week was the fear of being known. That we recognize for, for relationships to really develop, there is this openness that is required. There is this entry into our own lives. And so many of us move towards isolation simply because we feel more safe there. We feel more safe in, in, when, when we're able to isolate what's really going on in our life and to, to keep that in the back corner and instead project to the world this image of ourselves that is calm and cool and collected. Got everything all together, nothing wrong here. We smile and we say everything's going good even when it's not. Even when there are things that we are really desperate to talk to someone about, we know we need someone's help with, we, we, we nod and smile and say, everything is okay. And, and we work rather hard, if you think about it, at projecting this image to the world. If you don't believe me, go through, go through your, your Facebook feed, if you're on social media, go through that and ask yourself this question, are these people being authentic or are they engaging in brand management? Are they being real? Am I, is this a window into what's really going on in their life? Or is this, is this just a billboard for, hey, everything's, everything is just okay here. We're doing, we're doing just fine. That's, that's how many of us live. We put a mask on. We pretend that everything is, gonna, is, is going well because we're really afraid of being known, of being vulnerable and opening, opening ourselves up. So, so in a frantic and busy world... In a world where, where, where we find ourselves isolated and we tend to, to live with the false notion that there is safety there, we might argue that we have learned to avoid doing what we must do if we're going to experience real relationship. That our culture and, and simply the pace of our culture has trained us to avoid doing the very thing we must do if we're going to develop real relationship. 
I want to give you just one word of scripture today. It's from Proverbs 27, verse 17. Proverbs is from the wisdom literature in the Bible. And this is what this proverb says. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. It's real short. You can memorize that. You've probably maybe heard that before. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Again, we all recognize that there's some truth there. Because we know that who we are today is in many ways enhanced by by other people in our life. People who have loved us and nurtured us and helped us to become the people that we are today. We know this is true, but what I want us to think about is the metaphor that is being used here in Proverbs. Uh, The metaphor to describe the process by which we grow and develop and are sharpened is the metaphor of iron coming in contact with iron. We might think of a knife being sharpened. And if you think about that process, you may think about the sound that that knife makes as it goes across that that sharpening stone. You, and, and you may not want to because that may be a sound that you don't like hearing. But, but, but you think about the friction that is involved in, in, in a knife being sharpened uh, of that solid object coming in contact with another solid object and really creating some, some friction there. And since... Uh, the writer of Proverbs uses this as the metaphor for how relationships develop, we might ask ourselves this question. I wonder how the knife feels about this process. I wonder how the knife feels about being sharpened. If we could just sit down with knife and say, hey knife, what, what kind of feelings do you have about this sharpening process? The knife may say something like this, it hurts, right? It hurts. Because there's friction there, there's some pain there, there's some suffering there. Because in order for the knife to experience being sharpened, it actually has to lose a part of itself. And and those places in the blade that are weak points, if there's a nick in that blade or there is a a portion of it that has grown dull through overuse, then then as that, that knife is sharpened, those weak points must be exposed and must be dealt with there is this friction uh, that is that is a part of this process there is a pain and suffering that is a part of this process and again this is the metaphor that the writer of proverbs uses to talk about how our lives are are strengthened so what is it that we have learned to avoid that we must do if we're going to experience real relationship it's being vulnerable it's being open it's talking about our weaknesses. It's, it's talking about the things that we're, that we're really going through. It's, it's, it's opening up a window and saying, this is, this is what's really going on. This is what I'm really dealing with. This is what my life is, is really kind of centered around right now. It's about, it's about being vulnerable. And here's the deal. None of us like to do that. <laughs> we just don't. Uh, you may not know this, but but here in the chapel on Tuesday mornings, we have staff chapel. Our staff comes together, and uh, we have some worship together. We we share prayer concerns together, and then one of our pastors usually shares a message. Or once a month, Pastor Sharon, our discipleship pastor, will bring to us a video teaching from a business leader or a church leader that is either something we feel like the staff will benefit from, something we need to talk about, or it's something that we feel like may connect with the series that we're doing right now. So a couple weeks ago, I was actually out of town. I was in Atlanta, but, but she sent me the link. We watched a video from Patrick Lencioni. You may know that name. He's a business consultant. And he was, uh, the, the message was the power of vulnerability. 
And over the course of that message, this is what he talked about. The first thing he said is that the reason that we don't invest in or embrace vulnerability is because what we are taught to do in our life is to avoid suffering. That that maybe more than anything is our goal as we move through life is we want to avoid suffering at all costs. And so the idea of embracing vulnerability is often something that we run from because we know that it will involve some level of pain, some level of suffering. He talked about three fears that keep us from, from embracing vulnerability. The fear of being rejected, the fear of being embarrassed, And the fear of feeling inferior to someone else. And let me just ask you this question. Do those ring true for you? Do you recognize those those fears in in your own life as you think about what it might be to be vulnerable? Can you you think of a time where where you pulled yourself back because you were afraid that what you might say might be rejected? That you might end up feeling embarrassed because you exposed something to someone who, who didn't receive it in a good way. Or, or, or maybe the fear that you would feel inferior or that someone may down the road make you feel inferior for the thing that you shared with them. Husbands and wives. Um, there, there's this fear that we, that we have, right? Of, of rejection and being embarrassed and, and, and feeling inferior. Does, does that ring true for you? It does for me. I can think of times in my own life where instead of talking about what was really going on, I, I put the mask on and said, everything's great because of, because of these fears, the fears that keep us from embracing vulnerability. On Friday night, I went somewhere that gave me an opportunity to practice what I was going to preach this weekend. It was a bit of a coincidence. It's something I had agreed to do months ago. Months before, we decided to do a series on campfire. Months before, I decided this weekend we really needed to talk about vulnerability. Uh, it was something that I agreed to do because I just, I just felt like I needed to do it. And that was to go to prison and preach uh, in a prison. Now, a good friend here in the church asked me to do this, and and let me just be vulnerable and honest with you. There are things that you say yes to as a pastor that the only reason you do it is because you just have this sense like, Jesus wants me to do this. Man, Jesus wants me to do this. I mean, you're not excited about it. It's not like something that's on the bucket list, like, oh, I really hope I get to do this before I die. But it's something that you just go, okay, there was a time in my life where I said, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Jesus, do you want me to do this? Well, yes, I'm going to have to do it. I wasn't excited about it. It's one of those things that when I look at the fact that in our church, we have people that engage in prison ministry and go in there and and, and do some amazing things, I, I look at that and I go, I'm so glad there are people who do that. Yeah, you ever feel that way? I'm so glad that there are people who do that. And then they ask you to go and you, th- and, and you go through that mental list. And I know you do this, don't lie. You go through that mental list of all the things that might serve as excuses for why you can't do it, what, what might come up, you know, months before you say, well, I think I'm going to have a funeral that Friday. You know, you got, <laughs> you got all these things that you think, I, I, because you, you, it's not something that you really want to do, but you just go, man, Jesus wants me to do that. Man, I guess I'm going to have to go. And so I said yes. And part of the reason I said yes is I was asked to go by by Bob Bush, a member of our church who is very engaged in our prison ministry, whose life has been transformed because of his participation in this prison ministry. And, And I thought, Bob's gone and I need to go. 
And this church needs to see that their pastor has the courage to walk into the prison and and to preach. And so I got in the car with Bob and Janie, his wife, and we had another group that went with us. Uh, Jason, who leads uh, upstairs, and Holly uh, were a part of that. And we drove down to Fairfield to the Boyd unit to go in and to lead in worship there in the prison. And as we're going down, Bob's telling me every single thing that can go wrong over the course of this night. I mean, he's... He's telling me how we're going to get through security and all the different gates we're going to have to walk through. And, and he's telling me, you know, when we get to the gym, make sure you use this bathroom and not this bathroom. And here's what's going to be in the, in, in, the, uh, uh, in the room. And when we got there, the chaplain started telling us the story of, of how the last time there was kind of this storm brewing, the lights went out and there was just chaos. And we're thinking, all right, I'm so glad that I'm here tonight, you know, and... <laughs> You know, you're just getting more and more nervous. I've never been wanded, you know, with, before going in to preach. Like, you know, check my Bible, make sure there's nothing in here. I mean, that was, it, it was a bizarre experience. Someone else who went with us, her, she actually told her mother the night before that she was going. And her mom said, that's the dumbest thing you've ever done. That was, that was her response to her daughter. Why, why are you doing that? And we're walking in, and, and as we're walking in, we're just thinking, at least I'm thinking, I'm only here because Jesus, Jesus would want me to be here. That's it. That's it. You you know, that's kind of what following Jesus is like sometimes, right? Like, I'm I'm only doing this because Jesus would want me to do this. He is Lord of my life, and so I'm doing it because Jesus wants me to do it. So I'm walking in, and we go into the gym. And there as you walk into the gym, there is a group that is there ready to welcome us there into their worship space. Thank you for coming. God bless you for being here. We are so excited to have you here. It was one of the most hospitable, warm welcomes I had ever experienced walking into church. You get there and their choir starts singing uh, right off the bat. And you're just blown away by this, this choir. It's a really, really good choir. they got some great uh, musicians over there and great singers. And, 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 and those men are singing their hearts out to God. And then our team comes up and they, and they lead them in worship. And Jason gets up and he talks about how it was his second time to be there, how excited he was to be there because of how transforming it was for him to go for the first time. And, and then I get up to preach. And I don't know how the sermon went. I did the best I could. I mean, it was one of those times where you just preach your face off and hope that everything goes well. You know, I mean, that's kind of how you feel about it. But I get done, and, and then our, our team comes back up to lead in a few more songs. And, and at the end, there are men coming up and, and joining hands with other inmates and praying at the front of this worship space. And you're just thinking, wow, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe what I'm seeing in this, in this place. And then their choir comes back up, and they, they sing a few more songs to close it out. And the last song that they sang was the song, How Great Is Our God. You may know that song. They ended it with, by tagging another song that I bet more of you know, the song, How Great Thou Art. Many of you know that song, How Great Thou Art. So the choir is singing this song, and and we're standing off to the side, and Stephanie Gao, who leads our, our 930 service, she leaned over to me and she said, when you went to Israel a few months ago, didn't y'all sing this song in one of those churches there in Israel? (laughs) I kind of chuckled, and I said, Yeah. As I began to ponder this idea that just a few months ago, I was at a church that marked the place where Jesus healed a man by the pool of Bethesda, a a church that's thousands of years old, and Friday night I was in the middle of a prison in an old gymnasium with, with men who were singing out their hearts to God, how great thou art. It's just one of those moments where you step back and go, wow, this is bigger than me. 
This whole thing that I'm a part of is so much bigger than me. It's one of those moments where you, 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 you felt connected to something that was beyond you. It was one of those moments where you experienced life. What, what, what our video described as the good and beautiful and rich kind of life. And I don't tell you that story. So you'd say, oh, good job, pastor. Way to go to prison. You know, and that, that's not the point. The point is this, that life is found in those places where we make ourselves vulnerable, where we enter into those places where we ourselves are uncomfortable, where we feel out of place and awkward, where we, we walk into those situations or circumstances and we think, I'm only going here because Jesus told me to go here. He is Lord of my life and this is something he would want me to do. When we, when we embrace that vulnerability is where we find life. So what does vulnerability sound like? I wanted to give you some, some examples of what it may sound like in the context of relationships. It might sound like this. It might sound like, I need help. I need help to talk to a trusted friend, a resource in your life, and to simply be honest and say, I need, I need help. I don't know what to do. I don't have all the answers. I need to talk to someone about this. Here is my weakness that I'm dealing with in my life. It may sound like this. I am sorry. Is there anyone in your life right now that you need to say those three words to? And you just haven't said them yet because you're so scared of walking into that place of vulnerability. I am sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Those, by the way, are the nine most important words for a marriage. That's what we talk about in pre-marriage counseling. I am sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. I made a mistake, I messed up, I feel alone, I'm afraid I've missed something along the way, I don't feel like a good husband, a good father, a good wife, a good mother, a good, a good sibling, a good son, a good daughter, I'm scared, I'm afraid. Things are not as put together in my life as I may make them seem. Or maybe vulnerability for you might sound like this. I forgive you. Is there someone who's waiting to hear that from you? They've said the nine most important words, but, but you have not yet said, I forgive you. I will let that go. I know you didn't mean to hurt me like you did. Let's start over. And how do we respond to vulnerability? When we hear words like that, what, 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 what might we say? Might we say, I still love you? Might we say, thank you for sharing? Might we, when we hear someone embracing that weak moment and, and entering into that vulnerability, might we also enter into that with them and, and, and say, you didn't have to tell me that, but thank you for trusting me. I know how hard that must have been for you to do. You are a courageous person for sharing that. One of the things that I say to people all the time is when, dark, when light comes to dark places, good things happen. I'm proud of you for saying that. On Thursday, I went to lunch with a, a real close friend of mine who also happens to be a counselor here in town. Uh, I did so because for me in my life, he's one of the persons that helps sharpen me. 
Uh, He is someone whose wisdom and insight makes me think. It makes me look at something in a different way. He always stretches me and and helps me grow. And so in the course of that conversation, we talked about this weekend. We talked about this message. and, And he shared something really profound in that. He said, in my experience, those who have had to ask forgiveness are the ones who are most likely to share it. The ones who have had to ask for forgiveness are the ones who are most likely to share it. And I thought, that's how it should be. That's how it should be. Those who have had to ask forgiveness should be the ones who are most likely to share it. Which means that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've said yes to this grace and love that has entered into your life, if you've made this conviction, this claim, that you want Jesus to be Lord of your life and therefore you do things that you would not do otherwise only because Jesus told you to do it, if you have experienced forgiveness and grace revealed to you in Jesus, then you should be be better at this than anyone else. You should be better at sharing that grace and compassion and embracing that vulnerability than anyone else because we ourselves have done that. We've come to God and we've said, God, we've messed up. We've gone the wrong way. We've had the different desires leading us and guiding us and we we found ourselves at that place of destruction. God, forgive us. God, rescue us. God, set us right. Because we've done that, we should be better than anyone else. And yet, I know that for many of you, that's not how you think about church. You don't think about church as the place where you can come and really talk about the things that are going on in your life. You think about church as the place that you come and you put that smile on and you act like everything is going to be okay. But, but I wonder if one day we might think of church that way. I wonder if we could t- together could dream of a church where people could come and could talk about the things that most burden their hearts, the things that, that most, most keep them back from becoming the people that they, they are called to be a place where that openness and grace exists in such a way it, it permeates everything that we do so that people could walk in and could actually experience the healing that God wants them to experience because they can talk about the things that most burden their hearts. Is that the kind of church that you want to be? Is that the kind of community that we are developing here? Is, is, that, is that the direction that we are moving? A, a place where people can come and can embrace that vulnerability, can experience real relationship, and because they do, because they talk about those things that are going on in their life, they can actually take a step forward. And iron can sharpen iron. Pain and suffering will be a part of it. But through that... Through that, they can become the better versions of themselves that God has called them to be. Is that the kind of church that you want to be? Because that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. The kind of church that anyone can walk through that door, regardless of what happened to them 10 years ago, or, or, or 10 days ago, or 10 minutes ago. And they can find people who will love them. Really Love them as a child of God. People who will listen to them and care for them and step into that vulnerability and weakness with them and say that there is grace and there is another chapter to your story. And God can set this wrong thing right 
again. Here, here's, how, here's how Pastor Mike said it in his sermon last week. We don't draw people to Christ by judging them or living like them, but by living like Christ. And last week we looked at Ephesians 5.1. Follow God's example as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love just as Christ forgave you and gave himself as a fragrant offering to God. Is that the kind of church you want to be? Is that the community that we want to be? A place where people can embrace their vulnerability, where we not only enter into that ourselves, but we enter into it for the sake of one another so that the transformation that God wants to see in each of us can happen because we actually deal with those things that are really going on in our lives. I hope, you may not think of church that way right now, but I hope that there's a day that you will because of what you experience here in this community of faith, people who are willing to walk into the mess and muck of life and to say there's another chapter. There is grace and God loves you. Let's pray. God, we recognize within us our desire for relationship and our desire for safety. And we know, Lord, that oftentimes those things come in conflict. And we find ourselves paralyzed, unable to take the step we may need to take, finding ourselves avoiding that thing that we must do. If reconciliation is going to happen, if restoration is going to come true. So I pray, Lord, for all of us, for this community of faith, that we would be courageous people. A body of believers, Lord, that would open up our arms and our hearts to one another in such a way that we might sharpen one another and be a part of the thing that you most want to see happen in our life. This is my prayer, Lord, for our church and for each of my brothers and sisters. A prayer prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.